All right, everyone. Thank you guys once again for choosing us. Today's podcast is going to be split into two. So the first part, I'm going to talk to Corey, who did the play-by-play for Usyk Joshua yesterday. Then I'll bring on Lex and we'll break down everything. But the first part is kind of a little sort of a discussion, sort of a little bit of an interview talking to Corey about his unique perspective on the fight, given he was on play-by-play. And then Lex and I will break down more of the fight and then the rest of the stuff that happened this weekend. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's bring on Corey. All right, we are going to welcome on the most illustrious guest we have ever had on this podcast, I think. I think it's fair to say. I think certainly after last night, none other than the man, the voice of heavyweight boxing. And Corey, I don't know if how you feel about that. Has it really sunk in that you are literally the voice of heavyweight boxing at this point <laughs> in time? I mean, I previously I was the voice of like uh, heavyweight club boxing from Latvia. But um, yeah, I guess uh, th- this was a pretty big fight, wasn't it? Does it feel that way to you? Like, has or do you, do you just feel like a guy that's like, you know... I'm just talking boxing, but like, do you actually feel like the gravitas, the significance of the moment that you contributed to last night? No, I, I definitely felt like it was a big moment. I mean, certainly it's a, you know, it's it's one of those, uh, it's one of those hallmark moments. Is one of those things that you kind of strive for if if you're in my line of work. If you're a commentator and you're in boxing, you want to call the heavyweight championship of the world. You know, if you're if you're a football commentator, you want to call the Super Bowl. So this. Like this is like our Super Bowl, basically. And when you're a kid and you're dreaming of doing this and you're in your basement, you know, calling phantom fights or whatever, they're heavyweight title fights. Right. So it, it definitely means something. And, you know, I wouldn't normally do kind of like a, a sappy post hearkening back to my my childhood. But I did for this one because it, it did feel different. And I did find myself um you know, I wasn't nervous before the show, but I found myself thinking and overthinking or thinking and rethinking everything that was about to happen uh, and that I wanted to work in uh, maybe a little more so than I would have otherwise, because I wanted on this stage, knowing more people that were more people were watching. The fight is more more significant. Um, and not that I not that I try to treat um any fight differently than um you know a bigger fight because i try to give all fighters uh the the utmost respect and sometimes more obscure fighters i i enjoy telling their stories even more but Mm -hmm. objectively this is bigger and and i felt like i was putting even more thought than usual into it all right now let's put you in the moment last night so i know for me what this is and i could tell you uh but i think given your position is it'll be interesting to hear what you think but typically in fights especially when they're evenly matched whether it be like mayweather versus pacquiao or or canelo golovkin or like you know the big fights that matter there's it's a unification or whatever and you don't know quite who's gonna win going in or you don't feel strongly um there's like that tension every round and then at some point it goes away and you resign yourself sometimes, or maybe resign is not the right word in other cases, but you just know, oh, this guy's winning. So last night watching the fight, was there a point, if you remember, like literally the punch, the moment, whatever, when it turned for you and it went from these are two big boys and anything can happen to Usyk has got this? 
So I felt that there was a shift in terms of my confidence as far as the direction the fight was heading uh, in and around round six. And it's interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I actually had that conversation um, this morning with my good friend Dave Harmon, who was the, the executive producer of, of HBO Boxing and um, one of the creators of, of HBO 24-7 and Hard Knocks. We were having that conversation this morning and he brought it up to me. He said, hey, I noticed that the way that you were talking about the fight, you were no longer referencing the first fight and mm -hmm. you were no longer, you know, kind of questioning what was happening as of about round six. And, and mm -hmm. that's when I kind of felt comfortable um, in seeing what was happening. I, I did feel that the story in the early rounds was, OK, what adjustments are these guys making? Mm -hmm. um, and I felt that the story, even if you even if you didn't think that Joshua was winning some of those early rounds, I did think that the story of the fight was that he had changed his approach a little bit. His, mm -hmm. his, his posture was different. He was looking more aggressive. He looked a little more sure of his offense. But then as of round six, I felt that I, I felt confident that Usyk had really found his rhythm. And uh, apart from obviously that big ninth round where it looked like everything was going to swing, and, and maybe you'll ask about that in a second, so I, oh, yeah. I won't I won't spoil that quite yet. Apart from that round, that's when I kind of felt confident in in what was happening and started settling into the groove of all right, let's talk about you know mainly what Usyk is doing well, and now how does how in the world does Joshua counteract this? With the so with the benefit of hindsight, like early in the fight, I think. You guys rightfully were pointing out the body work, more aggressiveness. Um, I thought that, I think it was um, Algeri who had this uh, observation. The more athletic stance that Joshua was in, uh, with his knees bent a little more than usual, I thought that those were all interesting adjustments. But I say interesting because I don't think that they were good ones. I don't think they, they were also bad. But like if we look at like the net gain that he had from those adjustments from the second fight, I, I don't think we were too far into the positive because also you just look at the result. He still lost. Um, but yeah, like, what do you think of the adjustments that Joshua made in this fight? I, you know, I thought that this was about as good of a version of Anthony Joshua as we've seen. He's just ran into a fighter that a is a generational great and is stylistically probably the toughest matchup you're going to find in, in any weight division. He's just a, a one of one stylistic operator that you cannot prepare for. You can't find sparring partners that can do even 20% of, of what he does. There's just no one that can replicate him. I think that Joshua yeah. looked, you know, look, he looked about as good as, as he, as he has in his career, but that, that still wasn't enough. And again, I'm probably jumping ahead here. That's probably why you see him having a little bit of an emotional meltdown because think about <laughs> – but for real, you know, think about how that feels. If you're – when you're elite and you run mm -hmm. into someone great and you're like, well, what the fuck more could I have possibly done? Mm -hmm. I did everything I could have possibly done. I think I'm really fucking good and it's still not enough. Like how – that is a difficult thing to cope with. Now, we've seen people cope with it um, in, in, a, in a little less unhinged manner than he did in that moment, <laughs> but it's a difficult thing to cope with nonetheless. Uh, yeah, we've seen like people do a lot of different things after the fight. Uh, my favorite version of this is Adrian Granados, who's literally never lost a fight in his mind. Don't matter. Actually, I think he accepted the Danny Garcia loss, but literally every other fight. <laughs> and, and he's always cutting these like crazy promos after 
which have now uh, been surpassed by one Anthony Joshua. But <laughs> confidence-wise, ninth round, Joshua has a big round. Um, I, and I, I'll compliment your call because I I think rightfully you did not call that like Usyk was on the verge of getting stopped because he wasn't. I think uh, he had done enough work previously in the fight, especially really clear in the replays, like, oh, Joshua's aggression is not as effective as it looks because Usyk is slippery and moving and he's uh, not hit, getting hit with a lot of the shots that look like they're they're landing. and um, But Joshua has a really big round. And then the 10th round, I, I hope you recall this moment, but in the 10th round, early, probably 32 seconds to a minute into the round, Joshua lands a right hand. It is the money shot. It is a beautiful shot. Usyk goes nowhere. And then the round completely flips. Joshua can't cop- capitalize on it. Usyk starts to walk him down and really just beats the hell out of him in the 10th round. It was a great comeback from the ninth, but I think confidence-wise, Joshua was just shot at that point. Yeah, and I think that Usyk kind of took it away from him even before that. That like that right hand was kind of the last gasp, in a sense, uh, for Joshua, even though he, he never really stopped trying, obviously. You know, he gave it his best shot even in the 12th. But Usyk came out firing from the opening bell in that round and immediately took all the momentum back from Joshua. And, you know, one of the things that um, I don't know if I regret, but I wish maybe I leaned into a little bit more on the broadcast was just how wild that momentum swing was. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah, I, I I didn't necessarily think that Usyk was on the verge of getting stopped in that ninth round, but was it in the back of my mind that the 10th round, Joshua would start to pour it on a little bit and maybe a stoppage could come? I did think that that was a possibility. But the way that Usyk came out, you know, basically fighting at triple speed right after being hurt in that previous round and completely ripping that away, um, you know, whether you want to say he took the confidence away from Joshua or just the momentum away from him. I mean, that's an all time great momentum swing at the at the at at an incredible moment um, in heavyweight title fighting history for me. Right. Like just because it didn't happen in the 12th round. Um, it, maybe it, it'll get overlooked a little bit, but go back and watch that ninth round. And then the ferocity that Usyk comes out with in the 10th, that's, you know, that's all time great stuff. One thing that I noticed also after that point, and I, and I don't, I don't know quite how to like who to blame or even how to talk about it, but like Joshua just came off like a guy that's like, he, he basically copied homework. He came in with a game plan that resembled more of like a lighter weight class fighter. And and I and it's interesting because I wonder if the comment after the fight during his uh you know I, I don't know what type of promo that was, but um if the combination thing was a dig at Robert Garcia Im- imploring him to do things in training that you know what Joshua realizes that's not me. But like he copied homework in the sense that, like, I feel like a lot of the things he was doing late in the fight were just like, you don't do that anymore when, A, you're behind, and, two, th- th- those are foundational things that he was doing that, like, the work should have been done in the third round. And if you're still trying to do it now, like, you're not, it's not con- conducive to winning the fight. It's not going to pay dividends at any point because there's not enough time left for those things to matter, like the body work. Even though I think it, it was good, on the whole, though, it didn't set anything up. Yeah, I you know what I I would say that like to to be fair to Joshua, he had s- such little success, so little success over 
you know, 24 rounds in hitting Usyk to the head, which I think is what you're implying here, then maybe in the 12th, you, you throw all of that, you know, like, let's chip away at him out the window and just start mm-hmm. swinging away and go for that knockout. Mm-hmm. I mean, his connect percentage uh, on headshots was, was probably in the single digits. <laughs> so, you know, like, if you are going to stop Usyk, maybe it is still to the body in the 12th round. And the only time that you heard him in this fight was because of those body shots. So I, like, I, I know what you're saying, but I actually think that, you know, Joshua in his mind in hunting for a knockout in the 12th probably did believe that maybe ripping him to the body was the way that he was actually going to make it happen. Um, as far as whether that was a dig at Robert Garcia, I don't know. Like, I think that that was a man, you know, re- like trying to cope with his emotions um, and also having been batted around in the head for 12 rounds and was given a, or took a live live microphone. He wasn't given a live microphone. He definitely snatched uh, it. That was he a snatched the microphone. Yeah. Scott Sider, give me a fucking mic. Yeah, right. But, you know, when a six foot six, 250 pound guy uh, wants your microphone, you give him the microphone. So Jim Gray um, wouldn't have. He, maybe not. Maybe not. That's true. Yeah. He's got the, the iron fist. Um, but, but yeah, I, as far as that, like, hey, I'm not a 12 round fighter thing. I actually think that's Joshua, like struggling with his self-confidence in real time. Yes. And, and, you know, that's that's kind of like him trying to be a little self-deprecating. But there's probably a little bit of truth to that. And that's like that's it, it was for me. It was difficult to watch. You know, it, it was it was hard watching jo- Joshua do that. I know there were elements of it that were in poor taste, like the, the throwing of the belts. Um, you yeah, know, ho- holding onto the flag. Down. You know, yeah. You know, and, and there was tonally at times it felt a little like aggressive towards Usyk, but I don't think oh, for he, sure. he, he didn't intend it that way. You know, it was it was a man who was who was raving basically, in real time, and I don't know that he knew how it was coming off. How do you explain Joshua saying uh, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the Ukraine right now? I don't quite know what's going on, but I know it's not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you don't know that it's it's a war? I mean, I mean <laughs> that, that, This has been, like, a major news story for the past six months. All right, buddy. I think, yeah, I think that's Joshua uh, trying to be diplomatic even in his most frenzied state, which is... Uh, it, in some way, uh, I don't know, an interesting character study that he's still he's still able to turn that part of his brain on. Let me uh, ask a behind the curtain thing. So mm. or question. So, like, what do you have in your headset? Because as this is going on and Joshua is just going nuts on the mic, um, what do you like? What are you hearing? Because obviously you're calling it remotely because like you're a decent human being who, you know, isn't going to Saudi Arabia. So what do you have in your mic? Like, or sorry, not in your mic, but in your headphones. Uh, so I'm nothing at that. I mean, we're letting that go. Right. I mean that like you, you have to, you, you have to tune into that. Like I, I, and that is an interesting question though, because I do think that there would be the tendency, you know, like, let's say that we're on network cable. You have to cut mm-hmm. that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, that the moment he starts swearing. So about five seconds into that, like it's, you're, you're cutting away from it. Um, <laughs> But you, you, you have to let that go. I mean, it's a basically you – know, I, I can't call it an unprecedented moment because um, I did once watch Antoine Eccles at the Horseshoe Casino in Hammond, Indiana do basically the same thing. So it has happened before, but never on this kind of stage um, and, yeah, and <laughs> never with a figure this possible. big. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, so in, it is an unprecedented moment, and you, you have to keep the cameras on it. 
But do you don't you don't have a producer that's like giving you notes and stuff like that as as you're doing commentary? Oh yeah, well no, no uh, not like not editorially necessarily. I think it's more. I mean, it'll depend on the producer that you work with. Sometimes you will kind of get you know some sort of editorial cues here and there. Um, our producer uh, this time, John McCormick, who's who's a good friend of mine, um, primarily on on this show. You know, he's kind of helping me direct traffic, right? He's telling me what's coming up next. Like, what do I have to throw to? Um, and there will be instances um, where, you know, he'll feed me some copy box stats or kind of nudge me in, in you know, in a, in a certain direction if, if he hears something. Um, but that it's it's no, it's not. It's definitely not a Vince McMahon scenario. Like the, the information that you're hearing is 99 percent coming from from me and what I've prepared. Okay, so w when you said what you said, and I thought you what you said was really good, you essentially said like, well, uh, Anthony Joshua is just kind of very emotional promo here or something along those lines. I feel like you and Chris did a really good job acknowledging that this dude just had a psychiatric emergency in the ring without being disrespectful, without calling it anything, without joking about it, because I, I don't know if I could have uh, avoided that. But I thought you guys both did a really good job making sure you got everyone knew how you felt about the weird thing that we all just saw, even though uh, without, you know, without calling it weird. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that because I, you know, I will admit as it's going on, I'm thinking, well, OK, like, how do I how do I tag this? You know, like, um, but again, I, I default to like, how would I react if I saw that in, in real life? You know, let's say, you know, like I saw someone in the middle of the street kind of, you know, having, um, you know, mental health issues and, and sort of ranting about something or if my friend were acting like that, like how how would I react? Um, and I tried to do it that way. You know, if if Joshua had gone like a step further and like insulted Usyk or something, you know, then maybe you can editorialize. But, you know, it, it's it's someone who really just lost control of himself and lost control of his emotions. And there's not. I can't I can't judge him in that moment. And there's also really nothing that I can add. Like, do, do the viewers care if I like disapprove of what Anthony Joshua did? No. But, you know, but maybe it'll help if I'm you know, somewhat understanding to this man that's clearly going through something. Do you think Brian Kenny would have looked at it that way? How, yeah, I, I, listen, I, I think that every uh, every commentator would have handled that differently. And also, you know, uh, thankfully, the folks I was working with here were and it's not like we were talking to one another as it was going on. were of the same mind, you know, like both Mannix and Algeri did not decide to go the other way um, and, and, and chastise Joshua for that. I think, you know, Algeri might have said something like, hey, that wasn't the way that I handled it. But listen, like we understand what he's going through. And so I I was also helped out by the fact that I, I didn't have to rein anyone in or do anything like that. We the, the, I, I didn't have the I didn't have to editorialize. I didn't want to editorialize. And I also didn't have to respond to either one of my colleagues, you know, saying something that, that I wouldn't uh, say yeah. either. You know, I can imagine. Uh, I can think of a, I, I'm surprised one of your colleagues didn't do something or say anything that you needed. You would have needed to either kind of neutralize a bit or provide a bit of some balance yeah i mean listen i i, I think that everyone i th i like to think that we collectively handled that moment pretty well or as, as best that we could have for something you could never prepare for well i will criticize the camera operator or whatever because uh sky gave us a lot more of the uh you know 
the DAZN broadcast didn't show us Joshua throwing the titles, which I, I why did he even have him in the first place? Yeah, well, yeah, I, I wondered that after. Like, why why is he holding the belts to then hand back to the man who holds the belts? You know, and that's another thing. I mean, just to go back to to it, Joshua's promo, shall we call it? Um, I think to a degree there was an element of, you know, Joshua had just lost the fight. But it was kind of like by by kind of taking the microphone and uh, basically controlling the, the the narrative, not in the indie wrestling sense. Um, <laughs> he was there last night. I saw him. He was there. That's right. Braun Strowman <laughs> was there, sitting right behind Odell Beckham. That's right. Um, <laughs> but but by him doing that, it's almost like he was able to assert the last degree of control that he had, which was almost like. Subtly saying to Usyk, like, yeah, you know, you beat me. You're a hell of a fighter. But subtly, he's also saying, like, I'm the reason this happened. I'm the reason this money was on the table. Like, I I am kind of still the creator of this moment, even though I lost. Like, I I did think that there was a a hint of that as well. No, that's a really good point. I think that was clearly, like, him basically letting Usyk have it. But, like, he's letting him have it. Like, Usyk got it because he's letting him. Uh, let me, one more thing before we get out of here. Uh, I don't know if this came across for you. I think if you watch it, um, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't come off well in the broadcast, like atmospheric wise. And I hate that term, but Mm -hmm. I I guess what we should say is like the volume balancing. It, it sounded like very, the, the, the fight itself sounded muted and like, you you know, obviously your commentary sounded fine, but did you guys have like, what was it like in your ears to hear it? Did it? I don't know if you've watched it back yet, but it just it a lot of comments on Twitter were calling it like a pandemic show or something like that. And it's not unfair. I think the audio balancing like it just didn't come off like a live event, at least on the zone broadcast. Mm, yeah. So uh, I've only seen I've only watched clips back, um, but enough to understand what you're talking about. Um, our what we were hearing was clear, but even mm-hmm. in what we were hearing. I, I, it's not an audio issue that the crowd wasn't particularly lively and that the acoustics in the arena weren't particularly booming. Oh. And so they moved. Remember, this was not in like the King Jetta Stadium. This was in the arena. Right. There's only a 10,000 10, seat venue. Um, you got to remember, obviously, this is clearly an atypical boxing market. It's not the most informed audience, right? This isn't like you know, the Philly ECW audience, this isn't, you know, what you'd call kind of like, you know, the, the, you know, the in wrestling, you'd call it the smart crowd, you know, in, in boxing, you you would say like, is this like a big fight town? Um, that, that's that, that wasn't the audience that they were playing to. So I think that in part, it's like audio, uh, audio issues to a degree acoustics in the, in the venue, but probably just the audience itself was not your typical big fight audience mm-hmm. and probably not reacting quite as enthusiastically as they would have if this were in Las Vegas or London or wherever. Right. Because you ever, well, I, so this is a dumb question because I know you have, but like sometimes when you watch cards from Australia, like the audio just does not sound like the way we're used to hearing it. And mm-hmm. I know like you could say it's the crowd, but like in some cases I know that that's not the case. And, uh, I think it was just like a combination of all of those things yesterday where the fight itself and, and I thought it was me and I just kind of ignored it when I first watched it because I watched it on my laptop and the, obviously the, the speakers aren't great. So I thought, oh, okay, it, it whatever. I just ignored it. But then when I looked at other clips and stuff like that, I was like, oh, this kind of kind of uh, 
is a little flat. Yeah, I mean, you do have to remember, too, technologically, that basically what this is is a feed being sent to DAZN mm-hmm. in a studio that is then being produced, right? So you basically, by the time it gets to you, it's gone through basically, you know, three sets of hands. Yeah. Right? So that the, like you're never going to get the absolute best audio, like, when, when, when it's that kind of scenario. And, you know, it's coming from Saudi Arabia, too, which can complicate things. Like, you'll get better. <laughs> you'll just get better feeds from, from some places than, than others. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I would say. Like, it's just it's, it's a technological issue that's kind of unavoidable at times. Uh, all right. Um, I've kept you long enough. Let me – is there any other nuggets maybe you want to let people know? Anything that maybe they, that people should know that we wouldn't know? Hmm. From this show, that's a, that's a good question. Um, well, oh, well, that swing bout that was on the <laughs> was on the broadcast um, that was decided like you know within about a four minute span um, <laughs> that that they were gonna walk. Uh, so that what whatever you heard from me was the amount of research I could pull together in a four minute time span um, by like speed reading some articles from 2021 uh about the a-side and like and also by the way as that as that swing bout was walking box wreck crashed so at the very <laughs> moment when i needed the most basic of information gray johnson i had to go to tapology so just wow. uh, just so you know wow <laughs> Corey erdman endorsing tapology over box wreck <laughs> right, you yeah. heard it here first shout out to fight facts yeah right <laughs> we need to bring it back because clearly uh our friend gray johnson is uh, uh he's 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 in deep shit at this point <laughs> i love you gray man i uh <laughs> i can't I say the same never say anything bad about you i can't say the same you you box wreck failed Corey on live television <laughs> unforgivable it it came back around the second round and then i was like oh perfect i could make reference to like his last fight or something which i otherwise was not certain that i could because i'm like can i believe tapology i I don't want to go too far here yeah i mean it was was either that or you go to sure dog i think you made the right choice (laughs) right yeah exactly yeah (laughs) all right thank you so much for coming on um again you did a great job i i really enjoyed the broadcast um, actually, I should say I enjoyed the broadcast. I enjoyed the main event. All right? I have issues with other parts of the show, but that that was none, none of that was your fault. I thought Chris Algieri did a good job. You can let him know that a baboon with sunglasses on Twitter uh, enjoys his work, and then uh, just don't mention. No, you, I have nothing to say to Chris Mannix that you should be saying. Uh, okay, well, I'll text Algieri then. I I, I won't text Mannix then. I, I got no, nothing to tell. Definitely don't. Definitely. If I needed to say something, I'll see him at Ruiz Ortiz. But that's that's between you guys, man. But listen, next time I'm sorry this was a truncated episode. Next time I'll do the the full three hours and twenty minutes or whatever no, you no, want to do. Cool. All right, we'll we, do it. We've after the one we did with you, I was like, we actually do need to cut this down, and we have worked very hard to trim the podcast. Is no longer triple digits. Okay. Oh, hey, hey, listen. All right. Well, if I, I if that was my influence, then uh, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you've you've done a lot of good in the world this year. <laughs> <laughs> I've done something. (laughs) All right. Called the heavyweight championship and then also improved our podcast for the better. But anyway, thank you so much for coming on. 
I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I look forward to the next call you have, which is probably going to be some like French Canadian show with eight people watching. Ah, well, uh, it'll be, well, there might be some of those down the road. The next one you'll hear me on will be the uh, return of Juan Francisco Estrada on September 3rd. So we'll Uh, catch you guys there. Squash match. They got you. They got you. They they, they took you from calling WrestleMania to calling main event. Listen, guys have to work house shows after after Mania, man. (laughs) Listen, we're on the road 365 days a year, putting asses every 18 fucking inches, baby. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right. So, Lex, I just uh, I just did an interview with uh, the homie Corey. So now I got you here. Um, Shout out to Corey, man. Congratulations on that gig. That's a big, you know. Hey, man. I'm proud of him. I mean, it, it, it's it's crazy to think for myself that, like, this is just a dude I hang with, you know? And just now the he, homie. He's out here, call, like, I mean, he's calling the heavyweight championship fight of the year, and he got the most, like, it's not that he just called a fight. Like, I mean, it would have been cool if he called, like, this, like, Wilder Fury 3 banger of a fight. It wasn't quite that, but Joshua melting down at the end, and he had to, like, on the fly be like, yo, uh, <laughs> that was that was something. He's obviously emotional, whatever. Uh that's just a moment you're going to remember for the rest of your life. But, um, so you watched the fight yesterday. Yeah, I did. Um, what were your thoughts? Like Corey said something interesting. He said that this was potentially the best version that we'd ever seen of Joshua. And yesterday I was taking a walk last night, reflecting on the fight. Not, not, I didn't take a walk to reflect on the fight. I took a walk, um, to walk the dog. And, uh, but I was, I was debating that question to myself, like, wh- cause I thought Joshua looked good yesterday, but I, was that the best we ever saw of him? So I'm curious, what's your take on that? Um, I think last night or yesterday afternoon, Joshua showed some of the best intangibles we've seen intangibles? from AJ. Really? Inten- yes, intent. Yeah, for sure. That I would not. Have, that's not where I would go. But but go on. Because like the the reality is this. Like, and I'm gonna like, oh, man. I have a big point I want to make about Joshua, but I'm gonna save it for after what I'm about to say. But I think in the fight, he showed toughness. He showed the willingness to try to implement a game plan. Was he fully successful at it? No, but like you saw what he was trying to do. And that takes like some moxie. Um, and like there were moments in the fight where he went for the kill, and you gotta give him credit for that, but he just doesn't have what it takes really. And and Usyk, on the other hand, for as much as people want to talk about his skill and like whatever. I don't hear people talking about his intangibles enough. Like he showed me shit that I didn't believe he had. Like he, he showed recovery. He showed grit. His bounce back in like the 11th round was crazy. He went for the kill and Josh, like he flipped it on Joshua in like the mm-hmm. ninth or 10th. It looked like Usyk was finished. And then in like a next round, 
I thought Joshua was going to get finished. Mm-hmm. And so his level of toughness, like willingness to dig deep is like elite, like super, super, super elite. I mean, I bet this can best be summed up in a meme as all things in life should be summed up as. When you take that x-ray of Usyk, the most imp- impressive thing you're going to see right next to the Ukrainian flag is a dog. Nah, there's a pit bull in there. There's a pit bull. He, yeah, that, he showed the dog in him in this fight. Whether it be a pit bull, whether it was a Doberman, a Rottweiler, it was something. And for all the goofiness that you see from Usyk, and from all the skill, because there's a little, like, he is a finesse uh, heavyweight. You know, he's far more on the, the, the Fury end of the spectrum than he is on the Deontay. But wherever he is at the spectrum, like that stuff like is, is all a moot point if you don't got the dog in you. And he showed it. Uh, there's just really no way about it. He, I mean, I, I'm, before I always thought that Usyk is good, but I don't think he could beat Fury. I think the combination that Fury brings to the ring, the size, those are things that I'm not willing to bet against. And we saw Fury's got some crazy recovery in him as well. I'm now not sure. I'm really not. Um, well, especially when you consider like Fury's got like this weird commitment to the sport that, you know, is he or isn't he retired? Who, who knows? Uh, do we care at this point to even know where he stands? Uh, and I think Usyk might actually just have enough in him to get that win over Fury. Wouldn't be easy, but, but yeah, what, what's this point you want to make about Joshua? Real quick on Fury and Usyk, I would pick Fury. And it's like part of the I reason why I I'm like I, I'm I'm growing to dislike like like I love and hate the heavyweight division. Mm-hmm. I love it because like you have huge ass dudes with like ridiculous knockout power, and you have like really wild ass fights, and it's dope. But what I don't like about the heavyweight division, and like I hated this with Klitschko, and like I if if Fury goes and beats Usyk. Which, like, I, I'm not convinced that Fury will even be able to fight, but let's say he does because of Kinahan and whatever he's going through with that situation. But let's say they make the fight and he wins. I hate that in the heavyweight division, there, there's no weight restrictions and, like, heads are very, very, in, like, it affects the heavyweight division differently because you're dealing with guys with no weight. Mm-hmm. So, like, the no weight is already a huge advantage. But let's say you're undisciplined, like furious, and like you snort coke and drink beer and sit on your ass all day and probably don't eat well. Hold on. Are, are you talking about me or Fury? <laughs> 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 oh, my bad. I'll ruin your weekend plans and shit. Like, but like, okay, so Fury is just, you and Fury are just complete messes Yes. But then, like, right before camp, you get loaded up on whatever crazy chemicals. And, like, all that lack of discipline is now irrelevant because you're just hyper-juiced up and you're you're good to, like, pick it back up. And it kind of creates this, like, weird, like, really unbalanced playing field. I mean, Whereas, like, on, in lower divisions, guys can be on peds, but, like, because there's not such drastic weight advantages... It doesn't, I don't think it hits the same, but do you want to throw something in before I get to Joshua or? No, 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 go for it. Okay. So on Joshua, people said that he had a meltdown yesterday. 
He kind of did. Yeah. But here's the thing that I think a lot of people missed. I didn't miss it because I never really bought into the Joshua hype. Joshua is not a real athlete. Now, some of y'all listening probably don't get what I mean. Hit me up for the clip of him dunking. I mean, playing basketball. <laughs> and that, that will help put it into perspective. And it sounds silly, right? But it's not. Because when you're – like, I played college basketball. I played with professional basketball players recreationally on my team and against. When you're a real athlete, your level of confidence is like it, – it, it's absurd. Like, you have supreme belief in yourself. Even to the point that when things go wrong, like you don't really like blame yourself. And I, I, I always saw this in Joshua that he, he, Joshua is more like the UK's version of Seth Mitchell, kind of gone right. Mm. Like they got this big, strong, good-looking kid from wherever they found him. He was a decent boxer, and they put it together. He got past Klitschko. They had some cool matchmaking, and they got him pretty far. But but at the end of the day, in, in your inner self, in your deepest core, if you don't have supreme belief in yourself and supreme confidence, none of that shit means anything because eventually mm. it's going to get exposed. And, like, what happened, I, what I believe happened yesterday is he revealed – that flaw that he really doesn't have supreme confidence that he really does question what he can and can't do and i think a big part of it is he probably did work very hard to win this fight Mm -hmm. and like like in camp and like you got to give him credit for that but like like ultimately like imagine kobe bryant in the nba finals being like they they lose and he's like well you know i came into the nba at 18 and i i didn't go to Duke and get educated by Coach K in the art of, like, the triangle and all this stuff. It's like, like no one wants to hear that. Kobe's not saying that. Deontay's not saying that. Errol's not. It's like, the really confident, great ones aren't saying that. They're just going to be like, whatever I lost, it is what it is. Or they might be like, I had holes in my socks or I got drugged or whatever. So I, I, just, I just think Joshua kind of revealed who yeah, he well... really, really is. I, I think what you mean is that the way what Joshua said, I think he revealed a bit about the way he thinks and uh, the, what he thinks was an internal, like he revealed an internal shortcoming that he has versus usually when guys make excuses, it's always external. And, and like, I don't mean that in the sense like they don't take responsibility and they're like, you know, we just couldn't get the jab going, but it's usually... Because that is even different from what Joshua said. Joshua's excuse that he gave after the fight was like a very fundamental view of who he believed himself to be. Not that he didn't execute something or something happened that um, he couldn't execute, you know, from an external source. Joshua revealed how he sees himself. And I think, you know, there's a lot of truth there to that. Like, because I thought that it was what made it really uncomfortable to watch was that Joshua was really like, opening himself up there and saying something that's like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think you really want to be saying this out loud. And to, to speak to the other part that you said, um, Joshua being like a, like a sort of a Seth Mitchell where it went right. 
I think in general, when you start boxing really late, like a Joshua did or if a Deontay Wilder did, uh, the, the stories of guys who start the fight to start boxing late and then manage to go far. Typically, you're an exception, not the rule. You know, Sergio Martinez is an exception, not the rule. And many times these guys, they come from the guys who do have some level of success. They come from a sort of athletic background. So Sergio Martinez was like a soccer player, I believe. Deontay Wilder played football. Um, these are, or was it basketball? I think it was football. And, um, but these guys are able to translate a bit and they, it's almost like they're able to cheat to get to their ultimate goal. Where in the case of uh, Anthony Joshua, he didn't really have that. And so it is like a, a huge victory for this guy to get to the point that he did. Because like, in theory, he's right about what he said. He shouldn't be here. But it kind of reinforces like, yeah, I mean, you're just saying the part out loud that you put, probably shouldn't say. Uh, which, which is sad because like Joshua has nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, he he really doesn't. But that's my point. Is like a, a, a like a a, a LeBron. Oh, I don't even want to use LeBron because like LeBron sometimes is like goofy moments too. But like a Kobe, a Jordan, a, a Allen Iverson, uh, a Tom Brady, uh Serena Williams. Like these people aren't going to come up with these like bizarre like things. Like Joshua almost like revealed the secret sauce that like the clever matchmaking, the marketing. Yeah, yeah, hit. yeah, yeah. And like and and even Eddie Hearn, because like this this is why I never bought into Joshua, right? Let, let's take Deontay for example. For all the shortcomings the people say Deontay had and how fake he was, Deontay always ran to the smoke. He he was running straight to it. He ran to Ortiz. He was gonna go to Russia to fight Usyk, which is uh, uh not sorry, not Usyk Povetkin, and and they were gonna he popped dirty and they were gonna still do it again. He rematched Ruiz. I'm sorry, Jesus Christ. Ortiz fought Fury after, or like that's like that's kind of crazy. Joshua, on the other hand, like the matchmaking was a bit more like calculated and and like when you're really like savage, you don't need all that. like you don't need the training wheels. And then Joshua even has told us before. He said like, "I wish I had more time to develop." Like. He showed like mm, he yeah. gave us the hints. People like they were there for people to talk about, but some people saw it. But most people were so hypnotized by like the hype and like what Joshua looked like and was supposed to be that they completely skipped over it. Yep, yep, I I, I think so. And like even myself, I I I definitely have fallen into this and I definitely have ignored certain things. But I think you're you're absolutely right. Where Joshua looks like he's been trying to tell us this for a while, and now it's just finally come out full blown in in what was very poorly decided decision making after the fight. Um, was was I was gonna say like real quick? I think the saddest thing about it is like due to Eddie Hearn. AJ never got a big fight, and I think that's unfortunate. Uh, the Klitschko, I, I, th I think. So, okay, well, wait, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, listeners. The Klitschko fight, big fight, but at the same time, it wasn't a Deontay fight, which could still happen. But I don't think Deontay's well, looking fight. to go that route, 
and it's not the Fury fight, which was promised for two or three years. And like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's still possible, but I don't know like what the, the time frame is on that. Current. Let me let me jump in here. What you mean to say is Anthony Joshua at some point in his career should have had a quote unquote, this is the biggest fight in boxing right now fight. Absolutely. And he had big fights. And like, like, let's not get this twisted. There, there, there are other guys who have had big fights. Errol Spence has had big fights. But we can only say that there's a couple of fights that have been biggest fight in boxing levels that we've seen over the past few years. The Wilder Fury, uh, Canelo Golovkin. Those, like, like, those are like the, the, the few. And you typically only get like one of these a year. There's a reason why it's labeled the way it is. And if Spence Crawford happens, like, okay, yeah, that's going to be up there. Joshua never quite had that. And um, he obviously should have because he was such a, he was and is such a big star. But, you, I mean, you can also say, like, well, they didn't do him any favors. Because, like, I actually think if the rematch with Ruiz happens in America, that becomes biggest fight in boxing level. You have the Mexican heavyweight champion who upset Joshua that shouldn't have been there versus, um, you know, Anthony Joshua, the guy who lost via fluke. I think that would have been, that would have qualified. But when you take a fight to Saudi Arabia because you're scared the cash cow can't be that guy anymore, which is just really sad when you think about it, and you put this fight in Saudi Arabia in a place where 50% of the discussion has to be about human rights, um, and whether or not there's or the morality of the situation to do this and just where's this money coming from when when that is the conversation that you have rather than the redemption the possible redemption of anthony joshua where like that does do something to your your big star and eddie hearn is is in large part to blame for that and and i and i don't understand it i like i've just i mean maybe 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 it's just a microcosm of like his whole career where like he reveals that there is a level of confidence that this dude does not have. It almost kind of feels like it's funny. Cause I was, I kept meaning to ask Corey about this, but I wondered like you're calling this for the first fight. You're going from calling mostly. Um, I mean, Corey's calls them like bigger fights, but never quite called like a fight on this level. And I, I was curious, like, is there like some level of imposter syndrome that you have, like just stepping onto this big stage for the first time? And it feels like Joshua has kind of dealt with that. Like, it's like, dude, no, you don't have to worry about, are you this heavyweight who can do such and such? Like, no, nah, you clearly are because you're on the stage. And if you don't believe it, you better believe it quickly. So... I don't know, maybe there's just like a, a disbelief on the promotional side of things that Joshua just can't, like in the event of a loss, like you have to maximize revenue uh, in the next fight or, and take zero risk by going to Saudi Arabia or whatever. It, I don't know. It, it's, it's just something I hate because it doesn't serve anybody other than getting a nice paycheck. But like in many cases, like the paycheck that you receive from fighting in Saudi Arabia isn't that much smaller when you're dealing with an Anthony Joshua level star than you would get, say, in the U.S. or or in well, I don't know about the U.K. Maybe the U.K. really is like not what we think it is in terms of revenue. 
but definitely in the U.S., like that check ain't is like it, it, there's not that big of a difference. Yeah, I mean, I think at some point in boxing, you can't you can't play God in boxing. I have Never a line, work. huh? This is something I've actually said a lot of times uh, in the past, and it's kind of like a. I get what you mean, but um, what I've always said is that you can't promote a super fight into existence. And it's kind of like a, is it an idiom or a paradox? I don't know. It's one of those things where like, it's kind of like contradicts itself, but there's still truth there. Like in theory, yes, you do promote super fights and they, they arise, but like a super fight only happens organically. You cannot promote it. But even like, but even more than that, like, it's exactly what you're saying, at least. It's that and more. Because, like, Joshua and Wilder, at its peak, fight one does a million buys, if not more. Guaranteed. Like, that fight, like, like for all the hype that Fury and Wilder 2 got, AJ and Wilder were both on ESPN for what would have been their first fight. Wilder and Fury needed the draw to have the big second fight. So that yeah. already tells you how yeah. big Wilder AJ would have been. And Hearn, instead of just doing that, tried to play God. He tried to like clever matchmake his way around Wilder and like sit on the belts and wait for Wilder to lose so like they didn't have to do it. And it backfired. Because now all Joshua has to show for all of the bullshit Hearn put him through is a Fugazi lifetime deal with the zone that who knows even what that means now because do I I don't think Joshua's done he'll fight on but I don't really know how big Joshua is anymore would, would you be shocked though if Joshua didn't fight again yes I would be uh, um I mean I, I don't think like I feel like people like when these things happen people like jump to conclusions and talk about like guys retiring or they're mentally finished and it's like whatever like like, like AJ's at at this point, he's the fourth best heavyweight. Like, there's nothing to be ashamed of, you know. Like, that's still pretty good. There's still money to be made. There's just still big shows to sell out. You go on a roll, maybe you get Wilder, maybe you get Fury, but right now you're fourth. So, like again, no shame in it. It's just you're you're not you're not one. Like you're being advertised as. I think there's a lot of bad faith operators here in what I'm about to say, but it does speak to how big Wilder Fury or not Wilder Fury, um, Wilder AJ would have been that people still like <laughs> in the immediate way. And, and I do think there are a lot of bad faith operators here, but how many people still are like, but I want to see him fight Wilder still. And it's like, you know what? I actually think that fight's more compelling now than it would have ever been. Uh, like no joke. Because there's nah, so many question say, marks going into this. You can't say that with the losses that they both have. But I think like, it makes it more interesting. For a boxing fan, yes. But for like a casual, the, the O's matter for the casuals. and That's fair. And like, the, the, like. But fuck the casuals. We're talking about me. At, like the time they have done it, what it was perfect after Wilder beat Ortiz. That was like, it was so ready right there. 
the pro, like the pro, promotion would have been nuts. There would have been celebrities up the ass. AJ was going to like NBA games and like Reggie Miller got his name wrong, but he still like understood what was like that. It was so prime to go right there, and they blew it. Well, I I will obviously like there's gonna be people listening who maybe be like, oh, it was Wilder's fault, but I don't agree. I think it's Eddie Hearn just being Eddie. I mean, just look at Eddie's track record at this point. He he fucked up with Canelo, fucked up with AJ, fucked up with uh. Just plenty of people. I don't know, like the whole DAZN roster: Tevin Farmer, Haney, Jacobs. Tevin endless. Farmer hasn't gotten a, a, a mention on this podcast in quite a while. <laughs> His Speaking ear of, is probably red yes, right now. Exactly. Speaking of guys who haven't got mentions, I want to ask the Jared Hurd question at some point, just to like put it out there. Now, no one is asking for that, but okay. no, of course not. But it's still. <laughs> it's listen. Okay, I'm gonna ask you now. For anyone listening, has is Jared Hurd the biggest fall off in modern boxing history? Define fall off for some of our uh, uninformed he went listeners. From, he went from really hot to not mentioned at all. Like he was just, like I I asked Angelo this question in the DMs and he was laughing and I was just I saw Jared Hurd post on Instagram and I was like hold up I still follow this guy like what the hell is going on? <laughs> anyway. Neither here nor there. Just random question. Hit us up in the chat. But, but yeah, whatever. AJ so, Wilder, huge missed opportunity. This guy thinks he's gonna drop a takeover line on me. Which which line? You went from the top, top to not mentioned at not all. Not mentioned at all. Basically, come on now. You can't Just drop takeover. Well, he was. How you? How do you go from Charlo pay per view for like undisputed to like? Losing to Luis Cuba Arias to like not fighting for like two years, um, or one year, whatever it is, is a combination of never being good in the first place, <laughs> and you're not really taking care of your body when you gain weight and blow up, and then you also got to drain yourself out to get back down to the same division. And usually when you blow up in weight, that means that you weren't in the gym refining your craft. And like, you know, we could talk about Omar Figueroa and is a guy who I think this is like the super dramatized version of it, but it's easy to see it with him where he was a pretty decent fighter. Like, I don't think he was ever going to dominate the division, but like in, in the lightweight division at the time, like you couldn't say that he wasn't like one of the best fighters in the division. Nobody really stuck out tremendously at lightweight for you to be like, nah, Omar. At, at the minimum, you'd say Omar gives all these dudes at least some trouble. His activity, his like stamina, everything. Um, and his defense wasn't so bad. You know, you look at the guys that were like on top at 135 at the time, like a Ricky Burns or someone like that. Like that dude wasn't going to have an easy time with Omar Figueroa even if he was going to get the win. And I say that to say like, but you look at Omar now and you can clearly see that this guy has gone long periods of time, not in a boxing gym. And like the, all the muscle memory for how to be a professional fighter has atrophied. And like the guy looks like mentally he knows what he should be doing, but his body is not 
responding in any way. That's what happened to Jared Hurd. Not as bad as Figueroa, but bad enough. So that's why I do think that he's in the running for like just how did you word it? Flushing it all down the toilet, something like that. Just washed. This biggest fall off. I, you know the the whole phrase of like he got old overnight. It's like in a sense, it's kind of like that, but it usually happens longer term. Here's a question that I've been asking people. Um, and I think consensus, most people say the same thing, but like, do you think Joshua got beat worse yesterday or in the first fight? Uh, I think the first fight. Why? I think his body energy or body language, I'm sorry, in the first fight was way worse than the second fight. Like just my, like my biggest memory of the first fight is the, the fight ending and Usyk just like being on his knees, like praying or whatever. And AJ being like hunched over the ropes, looking like he's like about to die. Like <laughs> <laughs> the second fight, like AJ had some rough moments, but it it never like he never like looked like so defeated, body language wise. So I, I think the first one, even though I think in the second fight, AJ had more hairy moments, but he also got closer to a stoppage of Usyk. So it kind of goes both ways. I think in the um, I do think that. The answer is probably he looked better yesterday. But I do think that the matter in which he was beat in this fight um, was worse. And you saw it in the post-fight reaction. I think Usyk mentally took something in this fight that he didn't take in that first fight. He literally shook AJ to his core. And I think that like that is something that you don't see too often. But anyway, um, let's move off of this fight so we're not talking here all night long. Let's get on to the Showtime card. Omar Figueroa and Sergey Lipinitz, uh in the main event. We've already kind of talked a little bit about Omar. Uh, this was just not pretty to watch. And it, this was, unfortunately, thanks to Adrian Broner's uh, really unfortunate withdrawal from the fight. It went from being like a pretty good matchup between two guys who are probably at similar points in their careers, and maybe they could have used this as a launch launching pad to like get back on the right track. But notice I said back on the right track, not like get back in a title fight or anything like that. And um, with Broner pulling out, it goes from like um, pretty evenly matched, like over the hill, or at least we think over the hill guys, to like. Oh, somebody stepped in. It, th- this is the way I would describe the fight. It, it felt like um, we were gonna get like movie action where two guys were giving guns with like just like cap guns, and they were gonna shoot each other with their little cap guns, and it would be fun entertainment, but nothing's real. And then uh, Broner steps away, and Lipinitz comes in, and that would be the equivalent of like uh, someone putting live rounds in and then handing the gun to Alec Baldwin. <laughs> and, somebody uh winds up losing their life now obviously that's like a really grim example and then that didn't happen but it just felt like it's like oh they brought lippin lippin in and he's like the worst guy for this because he's a he's a strong and big puncher but also he just puts himself in position pretty frequently to hurt guys and uh it just was not a, a fun fight to watch whatsoever not bad for Omar, honestly yeah it's like, 
I don't think Broner, like like you said, man, like Lipinets was in there like trying to clap this dude to death. Like every punch he <laughs> threw had like vicious intentions. I was like from the early on, I was like, Jesus, like I thought maybe Lipinets may have like been slipping a little bit or like they caught him on short notice or maybe he'd be out of shape. I'm like, yo, he looked mad fresh, yo, like damn. And this dude Omar is in there just like, eating punches <laughs> it was just so like it was so like it was just sad like and i, I mean, think the broner matchup would have been better because like broner's not lipping that's man like it's it hurts to say but like the, people want to believe like ab can man whatever like all that shit is done man. like all that's left is like a shell of what used to be broner and poor Figueroa had to deal with like the late switch out and getting cooked and I, I mean I guess that's you know the tough thing with boxing like like stuff like that happens but tough man it's just tough tough watch tough matchup kind of sad but that's the game Lippin that's got the boost he got the little silver WBC joint good look and uh he'll move on to bigger better things maybe he gets uh Bartholomew, maybe he gets Antoine Russell, maybe he gets uh, Rodriguez, maybe he gets Subriel Matias. There's a lot of, like, low-key, PBC 140 is not that bad. It's not, no, no, not no. 154. No, it's, been... it's decent. No, I think that they, they've they invested pretty heavily in 140, and now they have a bunch of guys at 140 who are players. Gary Antoine... You saw the two dudes uh, in Akhmedov and uh, Pueyo. You got Lipinets. Um, I think I said Gary Antoine. Matisse is about to fight for a title. Um, and there's a couple of other guys that I've left out. But, like, there's some decent matches to be had. And, like, Gary Antoine versus um, Lipinets, like, that is uh, potentially a fight of the year candidate. Yeah, that's, uh, a, that's a banger. Like, that's all action. And, like, you... You got to love Lippinets. Like, Lippinets is dope. Like, he just kind of shows up. He's not going to give you too much bullshit. He's just going to give you good fights. He's got, like, 13 fights and lost three of them. <laughs> three? He's Well, he's got... He's, he's No, he's got two. He's, he lost to uh, Mikey, Mikey and, and, and Boots. fucking Boots, who should be at, like, 160. But but he's also just, like, got very few fights. And, um, like, he just always... Like, he was a kickboxer before, so, like, I mean, he's got some, like, he, I mean, at this point, he may be the most accomplished kickboxer currently active uh, amongst, like, professional fighters. And But he's transitioned so well to being a pro boxer to be able to compete at, like, to be competitive at the highest level. Not necessarily, like, he's clearly not, like, uh, that next level guy. Like, will he ever be more than a like a single belt holder, probably not. Yeah, he's not like go on to be undisputed and be like six of the best guys in the division or something like that. It's not who he is. No, but uh, put him in there with Gary Antoine and we got a body bag fight. Sure, or I mean, there's a bunch of guys. Like 140 at PBC is solid, real if, solid. If Rancis does what he did in the Gary Antoine fight, like – he then becomes a, like a really solid opponent for like a guy like Lipinets to make like a really good fight because I liked what I saw from Rancis in the Gary Antoine fight. Like he really turned it around. Um, but yeah, on the undercard we had two pretty um, significant fights: the um, Pueyo versus Akhmedov fight for the 
vacant 140-pound title or one of the vacant titles. Um, close fight. I thought it was a really... Uh, it, it was an action-packed fight. I thought Akhmedov had done enough to win the fight, but that was just mostly an opinion thing. Like I didn't feel strongly, and I don't see how somebody could feel strongly about who should have been the winner of the fight. Um, but Poyo got the decision. Did you agree with the decision? Um, it was just a really close fight. Like I thought maybe Akhmedov may have like nicked it, but I wasn't completely confident in that. Like I, I, it was just a close fight. Um, and I, I like had some stuff going on and I didn't have the audio on. And like, because I had some things going on, like I did watch the fight, but I didn't get to have like the additional like breakdown from the, um, the crew or like round by round scoring. So um, it would have helped to have that. But I did think that like, if I would say this, I would have probably felt more comfortable with Akhmedov winning, but Puello winning still isn't like terrible. That makes sense. What did you think of Puello? Cause I think for most people, that was the first time they got a chance to see him. I mean, he looked like decent, like, like the fight was good, pretty solid. Like both guys showed up, they were, scrapping you know what i mean like you can't ask for too much more um he didn't look like particularly like dynamic or like dangerous but he's like a, a dude that you'll know is gonna give you a pretty decent fight and he, and even better if it's like a good matchup if like a, a subrio matias or antoine russell theoretically i think like the one takeaway that i have about poyo is that he is pretty good I think he's gonna be in. He's gonna be in a fight with anybody at 140, from the top to the bottom. I think Poyo presents issues for for every guy, not issues that can't be solved. I don't think I'm not saying that he's gonna beat everybody, but I think he is going to be tricky for everyone. And like those who beat him will clearly show why they are good in a fight with him. But I do think that if that guy could punch just like a little bit harder, he becomes really dangerous because his counter punching was really good. I thought he was fast. I thought he dealt with Akhmedov's pressure really well. And like nobody at 140 is really going to pressure the way Akhmedov did other than him. I, I think Poyo is a guy that maybe um, if you just focus a little bit more on developing power, he could be really dangerous in the division because he landed really clean punches. I was really shocked with his ability to place them, and I didn't foresee that coming. But, I mean, it was a good fight. Ultimately, Poyo got the decision. I didn't think he should have got it, but, like, it was close enough that I understand why he did. Um, maybe if the fight was, like, in California or something, Akhmedov gets the benefit of the doubt there. But whatever. I feel bad for Akhmedov because he's not, like, a... He's fought on, like, PBC for his last couple fights, but I don't think he's, like, a true, 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 like, Al Heyman PBC guy. And, like, his team probably is, like, why are we here? We keep getting screwed or something like that. But, you know, I I, I would like to see him continue to fight with, like, you know, the rest of the guys at 140. Like, he's mad entertaining. I think Akhmedov's issue is that he shouldn't be at 140. He may need to be at 135 because he doesn't look particularly big. I like I may look it up and realize that this is not the case and not feasible, but to me looking at him, he looks a li like he kind of looks like Regis Progre at 140, 
were like, you will get by because you have some skills that are just going to be game-changing uh, if you are matched properly. But if you actually, like, committed yourself to fighting at 135, you would take yourself from being, like, a decent contender to, like, perennial title contender. Nah, if he can make 135, that'd be nuts because he'd be, like, he'd be a wrecking ball. Maybe so he'd basically be Isaac Cruz with more <laughs> technique. Where is he from? Is he Russian? He's, uh, I think, from Kazakhstan or Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. No, he's from Cruz. Uzbekistan. Uzbek Isaac Cruz. The, the, the Uzbeks do tend to fight this way, um, because they're all they all a lot of them go to Joel Diaz and like you know, you know the style that he uh, impresses upon individuals. Yeah, uh, I don't know about Joel Diaz, but. He just had a recent big win, but I can't remember what what fight it was. He, I think he did. I I know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think we talked about it on the podcast, and we were like, you know, shout out to to Joel Diaz. He finally got the big one. <laughs> um, fuck, I can't remember what it was. I don't know. Um, I wish I remembered. Uh, Hector Garcia faced Roger Gutierrez. Wanted a pretty wide twelve round decision, but. Coming off of the win over Chris Colbert, where he looked fantastic, how do you think he looked this time out? I think he did what he needed to to win. I feel, I think he got hurt kind of badly in the first round, and I don't think uh, his opponent realized it. Whatever dude's name is, I'm tripping. What's his name? Roger Gutierrez. I don't think Gutierrez realized it. Um, and from that point, I think. He had to like switch the tempo up and switch the distance up and and he made the decision like you know what I'm going to like play it a little bit safe and I'll box this dude and once he got into like his outboxing bag it was an easy fight but what was interesting about that is like in the later rounds the fight started to get mad physical and I wasn't sure what the hell happened like I felt that Gutierrez was like down seven rounds to like zip and suddenly it turned into a brawl and I was like man like that's, that's getting a little like that, that decision making is a little questionable in my opinion opinion uh Garcia reminded me a bit of Sergio Martinez in the sense that like Sergio could put like or build huge leads in fights but something would happen and they'd wind up get, like he'd wind up getting himself into like more brawling type of fights or get hurt or gas and 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 let the other guy into the fight and would kind of limp to the finish line. We saw him do that numerous times and one time he almost paid the ultimate price against um Chavez Jr. But I feel like Hector Garcia built out this huge lead, got overconfident, then decided, well, let, let me let me just let me just school this guy a little bit. And then started to trade, and it opened up stuff for Gutierrez. And then one thing also um, that Gutierrez is really good at is he can turn it on late in the fight. And he did that and made it really uncomfortable for Garcia. So Garcia starting to gas, um, winds up getting caught, and and now even though he had already stacked up enough rounds, like he he, did, he limped to the finish line a bit. But I I you know. Garcia did what he needed to do, and I imagine that he's going to learn from this uh, because – and also, I don't think a lot of guys will adjust the way Gutierrez did late in the fight. 
um, that just takes a little something that you don't see a lot of guys have in terms of like they can just all of a sudden find their second win in the 10th or 11th round. So where do you rate Garcia like in the division and then like within the whole sport? Within the whole sport, like what? There's, I, 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 mean, I, I, up, think... I set that up a specific way, but I'm curious to hear what you say. <laughs> I don't think he rates like within the whole sport in the division. I don't know. I mean, like 130 is weird to me. I don't like Shakur is probably the best guy. Valdez, next best guy, probably. I mean, it's a very sh- like dry, shallow division. Who else is like, who else is there worth conversation even? I mean, potentially Gary Russell if he were to come back. But Gary Russell probably, I don't see him jumping up. I could be wrong, but like, I feel like there's still unfinished business at one. One two six for Gary. Like, there's still Mag Sayo, Ray Vargas, Leo Santa Cruz. Uh, Mag Sayo at one thirty could be really interesting. I mean, there's still Colbert out there. Uh, your boy Xavier Martinez, um, Eduardo yeah, Ramirez. Top rank, I think, right now, right? Or I mean, I'm just throwing some names out from one thirty. There's obviously some issues here, but I, the reason why I asked you this is because I think Hector Garcia is pretty good. He's not great, though. And, like, we lose sight of this a lot in boxing because too many people are are hyper-focused on, like, the top, top guys. And, like, that usually makes up a very, very small percentage of uh, the sport. And we used to have a lot more guys like this where you have a guy who's really good and they're probably going to beat everyone in their division. But you would never imagine them, like you, we just wouldn't like it's possible. But you wouldn't talk about them in the sense of them beating the guys in the next division. They're just encapsulated where they are, and I think Garcia is one of those guys. Like Shakur is a guy that like we talk about as fighting 135 pounders, fighting 140 pounders. We think about him going up because he's like a different level of talent. He's clearly good enough to win titles in any division. Well, not any division. But you know what I mean? And Garcia is a guy that is really good, and we imagine him beating most of the people at 130, but not necessarily going to 135 and just walking through guys like a Shakur or even just being competitive with guys like we would Shakur. That, But I do think like if you look at the two distinctions of how to rate good fighters in the sport, there's a Shakur level, and then there's the Hector Garcia level. And I think Garcia is certainly one of those guys that is a good enough to be to, to reign over a division. Not necessarily good enough, though, to be, to be anything more than that. I think that's fair. I mean, he's a solid. He's definitely solid. He's definitely solid. Is he, like, pound for pound solid? No. But no. Solid. No, that, that, that distinction is, uh, again, should be exclusive because there are a lot of fighters that actually fight, and not everyone can be that good. Um, and then on the opener, Brandon Lee facing Will Madera. This got converted into a four-fight card because I, I I think the the belief was that look, how long could a Brandon Lee Will Madera fight possibly go? Well, we found out that it could have went three rounds had it not been <laughs> for a referee being so lenient. Brandon Lee took a huge right hand. 
I got like that would like if Brandon Lee like if if that was like most other fighters in the division, that fight was over, and that's probably a contender for knockout of the year. But Brandon but I mean, Lee, like, you gotta give you gotta give Lee his credit. Oh, absolutely. He, he beat the count and survived the rounds. Not only survived the round, he came back and basically just swept the fight. Like if you look at that knockdown. His head snaps. Like it's it's slack. Usually when a guy gets like knocked out, um, you could tell like there's like they were tensed up. And so their face like or their head doesn't like go in an unnatural direction. Brandon Lee looked like like he was just standing there, like um looking at his phone, and somebody walked up and punched him in the face. <laughs> completely unexpected like that dude was gone and then he struggled to get to his feet and even when he got to his feet he staggered a little bit not a lot but a little bit enough that new york referees would 100 percent stop that fight but this was uh in florida and that referee was like let me give this guy a chance and brandon lee made the most of it i mean he adjusted well he won the fight but uh, let me ask you this: Seeing what you saw, where where is Brandon Lee currently? I mean, he's still like prospect level. He hasn't really fought anyone to give me any vibe that he's beyond that. And like, you know, his last two fights, Madeira and um, who did he fight previously? It was um the guy that Regis Progre fought on the Tank undercard, right? Um, he used to be with the Mayweather promotions. Um, whatever you'll look it up on Boxrec, but his last two performances weren't like super dominant. Like they were good. He won all the rounds, but it wasn't like we're watching Boots, where you're just like, holy shit! Like this kid is like magic. And so, um, I'm still waiting to see what becomes of Brandon Lee. Right, he's he's fun to watch. He's entertaining. He goes for the knockout. He does all the right stuff, but I still want to know like what his level truly is. I mean, I think I know what it is, and I think like we're being told, and whether you want to acknowledge it or not, this is what it is. I think Brandon trains in a way that I don't think he can counterpunch. And I don't think he's, it seemed like he wasn't always prepared for his opponent's offense. And so Madera did have some success throwing a lot of predictable shots. And like Lee's reaction time wasn't great. And so I think Lee's level is he's going to get to contender and then struggle because he can't quite counterpunch very well. And so he wastes a lot of time in the ring doing the same thing over and over again trying to force it he doesn't really come off like he knows how to make something happen he's like there there wasn't a ton of setup there wasn't a ton of tra traps being laid it was basically doing the same shit over and over again hoping that at some point he would catch madera and like he never did like he never caught him for that big punch is what i mean um he can outbox guys who don't know how to make adjustments and don't start to understand that or can't quite capitalize on the fact that what's coming back at them is so predictable. 
But I mean, I think that's where he's at. And like, the thing is like, it's hard because it's hard to say that because he's 23 years old and like, he's one of the most endearing guys in the sport. Like it, like it, I don't typically react to knockdowns. I mean, like I've seen enough boxing. I know what a knockdown is. Like usually a knockdown doesn't surprise me. Some, a lot of times you can see it coming. And so, um, I don't typically like have like crazy reactions, but I did last night. And it's cause like, I was like, wow, like I didn't quite expect this. And I was happy to see this dude get up and like, get back in the fight and ultimately win it. But there's clearly a limitation right now. And I don't know if it's like, he needs a different trainer. I know, I think his dad trains him and like, that's always a touchy thing, but like, there's more to be discovered in his boxing journey in terms of his skill level. And if I feel like he might've already hit the ceiling in his current environment. That would be unfortunate because he's definitely, he's definitely a, a fun guy to root for. And he's, he's entertaining. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, is he fast? I don't know. Is he strong? I don't know. Like we don't quite know yet, but like if one of those or both of those are like really like, he really does have like special power or special speed. Um, it's just not being utilized right now. This dude is like driving a Ferrari in in the in the right lane. <laughs> I don't think that's one. the case though. Maybe he's like a Dodge Charger. Yeah, I don't know about Ferrari, but maybe like a nice little like entry level like Mercedes three hundred. <laughs> he's a little S class. There you go. He's he's the, he's that BMW with like the 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 the, the two with the shell top. Um, but yeah, I, yeah. So, I mean, I would be curious to know what, who he fights next and what direction they take him. So, all right, well, we'll wrap it up here. We've gone really late and, um, we'll probably have to come back and talk some news and some preview stuff for next week. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. You can probably catch that on the Patreon we also do other podcasts over the week on the Patreon. So if you need if you need more boxing content, maybe you just want to talk boxing. Well, we got you covered there too. Head over to patreon.com slash Sunday Puncher. We have a chat where you'll find us and other like-minded boxing fans who are frequently engaging in discussions around the sport, all different on all different levels, really. Sometimes like just like on all the esoteric stuff that's like, wow, you guys, who's really, uh, what, what are you guys doing on a Friday night talking about this? But anyway, Lex, as always, good to have you on. Any final words you want to say? Get ready for Ruiz Ortiz, man. We right there. We right around the corner. I think I'm going to go. I got the weekend I, to myself, I think. I highly suggest pulling up. Um, I think... The family is going to go visit another part of the family of which I will not be attending. And uh, I have nothing to do. Yeah, that that whole card is like, to me, stacked. Two closely matched heavyweights. A lot of good prospects on the undercard. Like, it's definitely a card that if you're in the L.A. area, I would highly suggest going. And I'm, if not, definitely order the pay-per-view. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll be back um, probably on Tuesday to finish off what we would typically talk about on this podcast. I, 
Thanks for listening.